Jonah chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up. Call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us, and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all of this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that this is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the man greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. So for the next 30 minutes or so, we're going to be talking about a man who, when God said go, he responded no. The truth is, God has said to all of us, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go. That was spoken to all of us. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So before we talk about a guy who, when he heard go, responded no, I want to share with you two opportunities where you can actually go and make a difference in the name of Jesus on the other side of the world. Let's take a look at this. CTK, if you're feeling the nudge to go, we pray your answer will be yes, and you will experience everything that God has in store for you. We are offering international trips both this year and next year to Honduras and Africa. 
In March, you helped us meet our project goal of raising $50,000 to provide clean water and the living water of Jesus to communities in Honduras through Living Water International. Join the team and be the, take the first trip to Honduras this September 24 through 30 and see how God uses your faithfulness to serve others. We're also super excited that our friends at Pomoja Love are going back to Africa. They will be serving alongside our CTK Global Partners in both Kenya and Tanzania. They're offering trips in October and next May. We're excited for you to join with them in serving the most vulnerable in society and see how you can bless others and how your heart is changed in the process. We believe that each one of you is uniquely gifted by God to serve, and there's a place for you on these teams. So join with us. Let's see what God is doing in the world and how we can help share the love of Jesus. Hi, friends, and greetings from Oaxaca, Mexico. My name is Richard Loveland, and I've had the privilege of serving on your missions team at CTK. This week, I've had a fantastic opportunity to travel with Living Water International. You may have heard of them. They're the organization that we're gonna be partnering with uh, this fall as we go to Honduras to provide the physical water that people need as well as the spiritual water. You may have heard about this during Missions Month. This week, I've had the opportunity to be with them in Guatemala and Mexico to see some of the work that they're doing. It has been such a neat experience to see the impact that living water is having. Today, I'm in Saga, uh, Mexico, which is in Oaxaca, about two hours north of the capital city. And behind us is where they get their water from in this very dry place. Living Water has helped put in place the pipelines and the water tank and the distribution system to the town, which lies just over the hills that way. Now, instead of paying $1,000 a year, families are paying just $12 a year to get access to clean water. In addition to that, incidences of cholera has gone down and uh, the health of the families has improved. They're practicing sanitation and hygiene practices that keep their fam families healthy. And at the end of all that, what is even better is it's being done through the local churches and they are experiencing the love of other Christians and the love of God. And we're excited for the opportunity to partner with Living Water. We hope you will join us on a trip to, to Honduras as we start that in the fall. And whatever way you can get involved, we would love to have you be a part of this. Thanks. So there's a couple of opportunities to say yes to God and go in the direction that he's calling you. Right after this service, there'll be two informational meetings upstairs on the second floor. We invite you to move in that direction. I didn't have anywhere else to make this announcement, so I'm going to stick it in right here. The big news around the Fishbook household is that Laurel and I are actually going to be first-time grandparents coming up here really, really soon. Our son Braden and his wife Olivia are welcoming a baby girl into our family, and that's going to happen sometimes toward the end of October. And I'm just really excited. This is a whole new phase for us, and so we're excited for them and excited to see what God's going to teach us through the life of this little one. In the 14th annual Rose Bowl, Roy Regals, the University of California nose guard, picked up a fumble and ran 69 yards in the wrong direction. His teammates, coaches, and the fans in the stadium were screaming at the top of their lungs, you're running the wrong way. Roy Regals ended up being tackled on his own one-yard line by his own teammate. 
At halftime, Roy Regals came to his coach and apologized to Coach Nibs Price, saying he ruined himself, he ruined his school, he ruined the coach's legacy, and that he never expected to play in the second half. Coach Price's response was legendary. He said, Roy, the game's only half over. Regals played a stellar second half, but his team still lost. And here's what happened. His wrong way run inspired 4,500 news stories, totaling an estimated 250,000 column inches in newspapers written about the fact that he ran the wrong way. With all the negative publicity, the laughing, and the criticism that was heaped upon Roy Regals, it could have ruined his life forever. He was known for the rest of his life as Wrong Way Regals. But Roy Regals learned that it's actually possible to bounce back from misfortune. In fact, he said what happened in that game actually gave him a better understanding of life. And he turned a different direction. He graduated from the University of California with a degree in agriculture. He taught and coached football at high school and the junior college level. He served as an Air Force officer in World War II and ended up owning a highly successful agricultural chemicals dealership. But here's what I love about his story the most. When Roy would read about another student athlete who made a huge blunder in a game, he would write them a personal letter and simply tell them life is not over. Roy has proved that while we can't change what happened yesterday, we can certainly change what we're going to do tomorrow. The prophet Jonah has long been judged as this prophet that ran the wrong way, and I have so much empathy for Jonah, because I understand his story of wrestling with the direction that God is sending him, and I hope and pray that we can all find ourselves for the next three weeks inside of the greatest fish story of them all. Here's the beginning of it. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. So the story of Jonah begins with God telling Jonah to go and preach about God's tough love in a city called Nineveh. And Joseph doesn't want to go to Nineveh. It was kind of like being sent to Tacoma, okay? Not just not kidding, all right? But obviously, there's this huge aversion between Jonah and Nineveh. we got to ask the question, why didn't Jonah want to go to Nineveh? Let me tell you why. Nineveh was known as the city of blood. The city was founded by a leader called Nimrod. Okay, do not name your child that, ever. His name means one who stands opposed to God. The Assyrians were brutal. Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh because he doesn't want to die. Haman Lewis, a a brilliant historian, writes these words. He says, The Assyrians were the Nazi stormtroopers of the ancient world. They were the pitiless power-crazed foe. They showed no quarter in battle, uprooting entire people in the fury of their conquest. They extinguished the northern kingdom of Israel. Which means this, he goes on, he goes, For Jonah, Nineveh then was no ordinary city. It carried doom-laden, tragic memories, and it stood as a symbol before him as evil incarnate. The Assyrians were infamous for their brutality and violence. When they conquered a city, they would rip off the lips and tear out the tongues of their victims. They would dismember and flay their prisoners alive. They would pile their victims' skulls on their city walls. Suddenly, are you a little bit more sympathetic to Jonah? I mean, can I ask you, anybody want to go to a mission trip there? Jonah's a time is tough, right? And he didn't just have to go to face a tough audience. He had to bring a hard message. 
The Bible tells us his message to the people of Nineveh was, God sees your evil. Repent or be destroyed. Jonah hears God's assignment and he, and he runs. <laughs> He's running from God. The Bible says, so he gets on a ship in Joppa and starts heading in the opposite direction. He's running from God. Now, before you judge Jonah and go, I cannot believe this guy is so disobedient to God. Here's what I need to say to you and to me. If you have ever had God ask anything of you and your response was no, you're Jonah. And so am I. How does that work? Hey, I need you to go and tell your neighbor about me. No. <laughs> I need you to give sacrificially and meet a need. No. I need you to follow my plan for sexuality. Absolutely not. I need you to honor your parents. No. Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. No. Do you need me to keep going? Forgive as the Lord forgave you. No. Don't take vengeance into your own hands. Absolutely not. Be reconciled. No. Let your gentleness be evident to all. No. Mind your own business. No. Just be nice. No. We're all Jonah. All Jonah and God loves us so much, he interrupts our no and our running with a storm. God sends a storm and the ship is going down. I want you to stop here for just a moment. This is what I love about the Old Testament narrative. The beauty of the story is actually in all of the details. We all like to think we know the story, but maybe we don't. Most of us think the story of Jonah is a story about Jonah and the whale. Would it surprise you to know the word whale does not appear anywhere in the story? The Bible says God provided a great fish. The word provided is actually translated commissioned or appointed. The word was actually a government word that was used if a king appointed a messenger or an ambassador. <laughs> think about it. God commissions a fish. Can you imagine that conversation? Hey, fish, come here. I got a rebellious prophet who needs a ride. He's out there floating in the oceans. I need you to pick him up. Oh, yeah, fish, one thing. Swallow, don't chew, okay? And I'll tell you where to drop him off. By the way, how's your gag reflex? I mean, can you imagine that conversation? Now, I know some of you are already kind of rolling some thoughts around in your brain, some skeptical thoughts. Like, come on, Grant, can a guy really survive in a fish for three days and three nights? I understand the skepticism. This is a tough story for analyticals and logicals. But I want to remind you of something. Miracles are never logical. That's what makes the miracles. They defy human understanding. I mean, at the root of every miracle is an all-powerful God doing all-powerful things. And the Bible is a book of miracles. Think about it. The central figure is a man who dies and comes back to life again. We've got people walking through seas on dry ground. We've got imploding cities, pregnant virgins walking on water. There's no logical explanation other than an all-powerful God getting the attention of rebellious people to show them that he's up to something great. I mean, if God can do all things pretty sure he can handle transporting a rebellious prophet in a water taxi with fins. God's up to something great here. If you study the story in ancient Hebrew, it's really amazing because the word that shows up over and over again is the word great. 
God's word in the story is great. When Jonah runs, God sends a great wind and a great storm. The sailors are in great fear. God intervenes, and he doesn't just send a fish. No, it's a great fish. God's up to something great, even though Jonah is running in the wrong direction. Well, if the word great keeps popping up with regards to God, there's also a word that keeps showing up for Jonah. Jonah's word in the story is actually down. God says go to Nineveh, but Jonah goes down to Joppa so he can go down to Tarshish. Jonah goes down into the belly of the, shi- of the ship to go to sleep, and, and when he gets thrown overboard, he gets thrown down into the sea, and then a great fish takes him down even further. And some of you can relate to that word a lot, can't you? Because you know exactly what it feels like to be down. Jonah's alone with God and the fish. He's at the bottom. And believe me, I am limited today to only chapter one. We've divided the book up four weeks, four chapters, and I so desperately want to move into chapters two, three, and four, but I've got to stick with Jonah in a fish with God. And he's at the bottom of his life, the bottom of his calling, the bottom of his rebellion. I mean, have you ever been there? We use the phrase rock bottom. You got nowhere else to go, nowhere else to hide, no more options. You're at the bottom of life itself. Well, if you've ever been there, you're going to love walking out this journey with Jonah. Let's go back to the storm moment for just a second. To refresh your memory, the Bible says then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. Such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take note of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let's cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us who's responsible for making all of this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What's your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them so. Don't miss this. It's so unbelievably important. Jonah didn't lose his faith. He lost his way. Have you ever been there? Like you believe in Jesus with everything in you, you're just struggling with obedience. I can say that. There have been times. I, I love Jesus with everything in me, but I'm struggling with obedience. Jonah identifies himself as a follower of God. He says, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord of heaven. But we're just not really connecting right now because I'm running away from God instead of turning towards him. So I I feel lost. I have more questions than answers. I'm scared. I feel alone. I've lost my way. I mean, we have all been there at some point in our life. And this is where it gets really tough. We want to follow Jesus. But we make a decision to run away from him. We, We go the opposite direction of what he's called us to. And our rebellion begins to affect the lives of the people around us. It doesn't just affect us. It starts touching on the people that we love. 
If you notice this in the story, Jonah's rebellion is having a tremendous effect on this group of sailors. Verse 11, the sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Here's Jonah's reply. Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. If you're following, you need to underline these next words. I know it is my fault. Let me read that again. I know it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Jonah makes a bold step. He owns it. He owns it. I did this to you. What should that teach us? There's a huge lesson in just simply Jonah being transparent and open. I believe the lesson's this. Own what's yours to own and clean your side of the street. Here's what I know. Every person in this room, very much including the guy with the microphone, every person in this room has run from God. Every one of us. And every person in this room has also hurt someone. That's not news to you, right? You're not stunned over that? Every one of us has hurt someone. A spouse, a friend, a coworker, a child, a parent. We've all hurt someone. And the way we show that we can own the hurt that we've caused is to go back to people and make amends. Those of you who have taken a 12-step journey, you will never forget step nine ever, will you? In step nine, that's where we go and make amends with people that we have hurt. We use this phrase around here. We clean our side of the street. We're not responsible for their response. We're responsible to be obedient. If we did something wrong, we've got to go back and make it right. And that's difficult. Because it goes against everything in our soul. Our soul wants to downplay the pain that we've caused. We just want to forget it and put it behind us, but we can't. We just want to crawl into the bottom of the sinking ship of our life and take a nap. And we can do that. It's a choice. It's an option. We can run to the belly of the ship. We can run and hide and and avoid. But as Jesus followers, we're called to make a better choice. We need to own the rebellion and turn towards God by making the wrong right. And it's hard work. I hated making amends (laughs) until it was done, and then I loved it. I mean, in my own journey, I've lost track of the number of times I've had to go back to my kids and my wife to make amends for reckless words bad attitudes. I've had to go back to friends and former friends and say these difficult words. I was wrong. Jonah says, I brought this on you. He's willing to own it and pay the price for his disobedience. He tells the sailors, this is what you've got to do to save yourselves from the pain that I've caused you. Throw me overboard. And here's what's so interesting to me. Instead of going, okay, They actually argue with him. They're like, no, no. Verse 13, instead, the men did their best to row back to land. But they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Think about this for just a second. Instead of dealing with the problem head on and allowing Jonah to take ownership. Okay, now before we go any further, I got to say this. Don't think the answer to every problem you have is to throw someone over the side of the ship. Okay, we're clear with that? All right. Okay? 
But instead of tackling the problem head on and doing what Jonah actually says they should do, they come up with their own solution. They decide to try and row harder. Don't we all do that? I mean, we've got a problem, and instead of actually doing it God's way, which may seem a little crazy at times, no, we, we, we pull up a little bit harder, right? We, we, we press in, we suck it up, we move on, we pretend it, pretend it didn't happen, we focus, we take a class on avoidance, we dig a little deeper, we become our own champion. We use every other motivational catchphrase that we can think of. We do it on our own, use our own strength, we row harder. And what happens? The storm gets worse. Because when we decide to take matters into our own hands and not do what God has told us to do, has anyone else noticed that it makes it worse? Jonah gave them the answer. <laughs> I know this may seem a little crazy, but throw me over the side. The answer was to throw the real source of the pain into an ocean because you know what was waiting in the ocean? a loving God and forgiveness. They try their own way, but God allows the storm to grow worse. And suddenly they're like, plan B did not work. Plan C did not work. Plan D did not work. I guess we're back to plan A, verse 14. Then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Don't hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you have pleased. Isn't it interesting that these former Alternative religion-seeking sailors, sailors are suddenly having a personal conversation with the God of the universe themselves. Verse 15, then they took Jonah and threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. I don't know about you, but that always catches me by surprise. I know it's coming, but it still catches me by surprise. Guy goes over the side, whew, suddenly everything is calm. And we go, okay, we're good, we're good, we're good. Don't forget this. Jonah's in the water. <laughs> and the ship is continuing away. But also don't miss the, the storm stops completely still water. What do we learn from that? When we deal with the issues of our lives with God, in God's way, the result that happens is peace. Some of you are like, I would love some peace then you may need to release that bitterness that you've nursed in your heart towards someone. You may need to release that bitterness. If you want to experience peace, you may need to let a grudge go and go back and ask forgiveness because you've held on to that grudge way, 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 way too long. You might need to go back to a boss and pay restitution. You might need to actually finish a 12-step journey. And just for the record... 12 steps is not when you do the first three, four times. Okay? It's not 12 steps. You may need to, to toss the attitude that you carried with you that somehow you're a victim and everybody else is against you. You may need to toss your attitude over the side in order to experience peace. And when you do, I want you to notice something. Your peace actually has an effect on other people. Verse 16, I love this verse. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Can I tell you what happened when Jonah owned his stuff? 
a revival broke out on the ship. And I can't go to chapter 2, 3, and 4, but this is one of several revivals that happen in the story. Here's the conclusion of it all. Only God can give you only God can give you peace. <laughs> Whether you're the villain of the pain you used to hurt others or the victim of the pain of someone else, only God can give you beauty for ashes, hope for hopelessness, and healing for your hurt. And then we get to verse 17. Now the Lord provided, and I love the original, a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Okay, let's set the record straight. Just so we know right from the beginning of the story. The fish was not punishment. The fish was God's mercy. If there's no fish, Jonah drowns. He's in the middle of the sea by himself. That ship is not going to make a loop and come back for him. He's on his own in the water. He's going to drown if there's no other option. And yet God, in his incredible sovereignty, commissions a great fish and says, he's floating right over there. Pick him up and give him a ride. We're going to need to have a three-day conversation in the depth of a fish's stomach. Not because I'm punishing Jonah, but because I'm actually up to something great. This is the point. When you finally hit rock bottom, you discover something. When you hit rock bottom, you discover that God is there. Now, I know some of you are thinking, if I was God, that's probably not how I would have handled the situation. I mean, if you're a rebellious prophet... And you decide to run in the opposite direction. I mean, some of us would go, if we were God, then you're on your own, Mr. Prophet Man. Isn't it so beautiful to know that God, in the middle of our rebellion, will still choose mercy? The exact opposite of what we deserve. That's what God does. That's when God is up to something great. So we're going to leave Jonah in the belly of the fish. And I know some of you are like, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, I, I need resolution, right? Church is supposed to be like a sitcom. Like at the end of it, there's, we're all supposed to laugh and you tie a nice red bow on the top of the story and it makes me feel better so I can go on with my Sunday afternoon. Like, come on, Grant, don't leave him in the belly of the fish. But we're going to have to leave him there with some tension because what I know is this. There are some people in this room, your spiritual work this week is to actually get on your knees in the dark place, come to God and say, can we have a conversation? There's some things I need to own. I need to confess and repent before my God. I've been running in the wrong direction. Some of us need to come to that place. And, and as much as I would love to resolve the tension, I want to leave you with this encouragement from Psalm 139 from a guy named David who knew exactly what it felt like to be at rock bottom. David wrote, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? 
If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. And you get to the end of chapter one and you realize Jonah's at rock bottom. That's just the truth. But I want to make sure we get this. Don't ever think for a second that this is where God wanted him to end up. The ride to Nineveh could have been so much smoother if Jonah just would have said, yes. Some of us have been running. How do we change that tide? How do we turn the tide? We need to say, yes. Even when we choose to run away from God, God stops at nothing in his desire for the best for us. I mean, can somebody else testify in this room that choosing a yes with God is always so much better? It's just so much better. Now, don't get me wrong. God will meet you at the top. He'll meet you at the pinnacle. He'll meet you in the middle when life is just everyday moments. God will meet you anywhere, anytime, But in this moment, we're dealing with a guy who said no. And here's the beauty of the story. God was still there. He sent a fish to meet him at rock bottom. God's mercy never ceases to amaze me. Did we serve a God who doesn't go, well, fine then, if that's the way you want it, good luck with that. Instead, we serve a God who, just like in the story of the prodigal son, longs for that moment when we come to our senses and start saying, what am I doing? Why am I going this direction? Why don't I just turn around and go home? Just so you know, if you're here and you're going, that's my story, that's my story. I love saying this to you. This church is full of Jonas. I mean, if, you, if you're running away from God, you're actually in pretty good company because we've all been there. <laughs> Let me tell you a few stories of the people that are sitting around you. I know a Jonah who had it all, but he lost it in a sea of alcohol. He was on a fast ship to nowhere and God took him to rock bottom. He lost everything and I met him at rock bottom in 12 steps, a spiritual journey. I remember the very first night he said these words. He said, this is my last hope. And he got real and he cried out to God and God met him at the lowest moment of his life and he brought him out into the light and we got to witness the transformation because he found out something and we got to witness something that at the lowest moment of his life, God was there up to something great. I know a businessman who was at the top of his game and then it all came crashing down. Actually ended up in prison and he had a Jonah moment. He found out that that the pinnacle of his success was actually a place of huge danger for him. 
He also found out that when he was at the bottom of life, that he discovered an incredible security because God was there. God met him there. I know a young lady from our church right now who's, (laughs) you could call her a female Jonah. And this won't make sense right this second, but later on in the series it will. And right now she's on the beach all by herself. Her friends have abandoned her because of her newfound faith. No pun intended, they they think this whole Jesus thing, they think it's a little fishy. Her life's not very pretty right now, but I'll tell you something. She's going in the right direction. And we're going to be her family no matter what. And she's going to discover something. None of us are alone on the beach. (laughs) We're together in this. I could tell you story after story after story, but we're running out of time. So here's kind of the culminating question. Which direction are you running today? If you're running away from God, you don't have to. You can run towards him and experience his peace right now because I've said it multiple times, but I want this to be running through our heads and our hearts right now. When you finally hit rock bottom, you'll discover that God is there and that he's up to something great. God is there. The God who never gives up on rebellious prophets. The God who still loves evil and brutal people enough to send his message and his messenger. God is there. The God who still calms storms. God is there. The God who spent three days in the belly of a tomb to save me and you. Today would be a great day to stop running from him and turn towards him. Would you pray with me? Lord, I pray that right now in this moment, those who are watching online and those who are in the room, Lord, I pray that you would give us the courage to say out loud, I'm Jonah. I'm Jonah. Lord, would you give us the courage to make things right, Lord, for the people that we've hurt on our, on our run away from you. Lord, I pray that you'd bring us back to a place of, of amends where we can say, I am, a, I am a follower of Jesus and I did this wrong, but I want to make it right. God, I pray that right now, no matter where we are. Lord, maybe we're on the top of the mountain and everything is just perfect. God, we want to thank you that you're there. God, if we're kind of in that middle ground and and everything seems to be okay, we've got a few things. Lord, we thank you that you're there. Lord, for those who are in the room right now and they would say, "I'm, I'm at the bottom. Lord, we acknowledge that you are there doing something great so God as we spend this next number of weeks 
walking alongside of a rebellious prophet who's asking hard questions. Lord, I pray that you would take us wherever we need to go in order to have that moment of clarity when we turn towards you and not away. God, thank you for messy stories like Jonah's. Show us your heart. Show us our heart. And God, meet us in all the moments along the way. We pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen. Would you stand with me for just a moment? I I watch things happen while services are going along and I see people in a bit of a tug of war for their soul. And I I know there's there's some of us that are tempted right now. It's just like, okay, like, yeah, okay. I felt like God said something to me, but I I just don't want to deal with it. I want to go take a nap. I want to go down to Boulevard and and get a coffee and just pretend that everything is okay. And I I don't want to have to deal with anything because it's just too hard. You could make that choice today. Or you could do something else. You could come down to the front and pray with somebody who's been where you've been. Can I tell you something about all of our after-service prayer team people? (laughs) They're Jonah. But they all made a decision at some point to turn towards instead of away. I want to invite you today, if God is stirring something and you need to deal with it, don't just run out the door. Come on down to the front. We'd love to pray with you. And before we go, let's worship this incredible God who gives mercy to rebellious prophets and mercy to his whole family every single day.